Hello and welcome to Ask Matt. I'm Eugene Cordero, Professor of Meteorology and Climate Science at San Jose State University and founder and director of Green Ninja. Green Ninja is an educational initiative where students use science and engineering to solve real-world environmental problems. I'm here with Matthew Delasio, geology professor from Cal State Northridge and chief author of the 2016 California Science Framework. Matt is a national expert on science learning with over 20 years of experience as a high school teacher, science educator, and one of the three authors of California's NGSS standards. I met Matt about three years ago, and he generously agreed to help our team at Green Ninja with advice as we created our own NGSS curriculum. Today, we are an approved science publisher in California, in large part because of Matt's guidance and advice. We all learned a ton from our work with Matt, and I thought it would be great to share some of his wisdom and insights with others. So here we are. I'll ask Matt questions about a range of subjects from NGSS and science learning to professional training and science content. And hopefully we'll all learn some more about how to make this transition to NGSS easier and more rewarding, both for teachers and students. If you have any of your own questions, just send them to info at greenninja.org and I'll share some of them with Matt in a future episode. So let's get started. Hi Matt, how are you doing? Hey, good to be here. Well, it's been a few weeks since we've had a show, and when we left off during our last show, the elections were just around the corner for the LA City Council. Do you want to share with our listeners a quick update on your wife's election results? Oh, it's been a while, I guess, then, hasn't it? Yes. Um, so uh, Lorraine did very well, but did not win the election. She lost by a little between somewhere between two and three percent, um, and uh, it was a, a very brutal campaign with her her opponent uh, sending out negative mailers every day for the last week, and uh, I think it had an impact. So so she didn't win. Um, but this was a special election in the middle of the summer, and it turns out that he's up for re-election in March. And so we're back into the race again, uh, since it's been so long since I've seen you that we, we finished one campaign and, and decided to restart a new one. So that's where we are now. And so March will be the, uh, the first runoff? Uh, the, the, the first round of things. And uh, if somebody gets more than 50%, then that person will be the outright winner. And if not, there'll be a runoff in the uh, November presidential election time. Wow. So it's kind of back at the campaign trail for you and your family. Yeah, our family's gearing up. So, yep. Well, anyhow, that's super exciting. I know it was um, disappointing not to, to win the election, but I, I did have the pleasure of being at your election night party. There was so much energy there, and there were a lot of people who were really inspired with, with what Maureen had done and uh, the connection she had made. So I think a lot of us were really happy to hear the news this week that there was a, she was going to go put her um, name in the hat again and, and go for it. So it's really exciting. Yeah, we got to finish what we started. That's right. So um, today, I thought we would focus on NGSS and climate change, in part because today is the global climate strike, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's start with NGSS. And that, how is climate change represented in the standards before NGSS? And how is this change now with the next generation science standards? Well, it's, uh, you know, the, the understanding Earth's climate has always been an important part of, of science standards uh, around the world, but we're sort of understanding the nature of climate change and the human aspect of things is really what what shifted uh, as we as we approached our new NGSS standards is really trying to make sure that people understand uh, the role that humans play in affecting the climate system, which is something that is kind of kind of surprising. This huge planet, and yet we can we can have an outsized impact on it, and that that part comes across very nicely in the requirements of of, of the standards. 
and people often say, oh, you know, so climate change was there in the standards before, but is it more emphasized today or is it uh, just a, adding the human element to it? Yeah, no, well, most definitely it's more emphasized. And, and we see that particularly in the high school, partly because climate change is such a, a big global problem. It's most appropriate and most com it's, it's very complicated. It's very integrated. Uh, it's most appropriate for really discussing at the high school level. And so um, we've in California with our high school three course model that we developed, essentially each of the three courses has a major piece about climate. The physics course has a whole section on renewable energy and how that works. The chemistry section has the chemistry of climate change. Uh, the, the life science section has the effects of, of climate change on ecosystems. And those are a huge, not just not just tiny pieces of those courses, but those courses are the biggest piece of them is really about those climate change impacts. And so we really see that coming to full fruition in the high school level. And then the middle school level, we'll, as we'll talk about later, is just kind of a, uh, the, the first stepping stone into that complex problem. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, some states like Texas and Florida have not adopted NGSS and ultimately seemed alarmed at teaching the science of climate change. Do you think the authors of NGSS expected this? Well, they, the NGSS has some very controversial uh, things in it for some people, uh, with climate change being a big part of it, and, and evolution, another hot button issue in, in science education for, for certain communities. And they, those are two fundamental things that, uh, that, are, that are important in science today. And so they, they decided to put those in as, the, as what they knew was the most important aspect of science and, and that they would fight those battles as needed. And uh, that's, that's kind of where they are. And, and you know, Florida has its uh, sunshine state standards or something like that, which are really the NGSS standards um, with just a few things diluted or taken out. And, and you can imagine what some of those things might be. Yeah, I was talking to one publisher and I, I was asking, when you sell your, your curriculum in Texas, what about the climate stuff? And he said, oh, we just, we just pull it out. We just take it out and then the rest of it is, is fine. Um, <laughs> but I was interested the publisher wasn't really, that wasn't really a concern for them. And I'm curious what options do the fine science teachers in places like Texas and Florida have for teaching important subjects like climate change? Yeah, well, uh, you know, those, some of those states do have standards that are based on the NGSS that are three-dimensional that emphasize the, the role of phenomena and, and sort of rooting all of our lessons. And they can choose a climate change-related phenomenon and teach all of the, you know, the, the whole point about climate change and why it's, why it's the, the thread that ties together all of our high school courses is because it really does utilize all different aspects of science to understand that problem. And so if you're trying to teach, you know, even just traditional physics, and you're looking at different energy and the interaction between energy and matter, there's, there's a fantastic example in Earth's climate and CO2. And CO2 absorbs energy because of this interaction between, between light and, and matter. And that's something that's an NGSS standard that has nothing to do with climate change, but it's a great way to do it. Or talking about uh, solar cells is the same exact topic, uh, you know, how you know, we were looking at climate solutions and, and how renewable energy can help us address those things, we can learn about that by, again, looking at that very pure physical science concept and teaching about that because the phenomena are out there. That's right. I mean, those are great examples too. I, I like that. So um, I was looking at the middle school standards and of course at Green Ninja, we use climate change and its context, like you were talking about renewable energy and about the science of, of the greenhouse effect um, throughout our material. But the performance expectation that seems most aligned to kind of what might some people might think directly is, is related to climate change, is um, MSESS 3-5. And it says, ask questions to clarify evidence of the factors that have caused the rise in global temperature over the past century. So Matt, can you deconstruct this for us, this one sentence, like we've done before on the show? 
and, uh, and tell us what this means and how would a teacher might interpret this and, uh, and the connections to the cross-cutting concepts in science and engineering practices. The, the key thing in, in this performance expectation is that the practice is about asking questions. It's not about figuring everything out. It's simply uh, looking at things and wondering, I wonder if that's ha happening. I wonder if that's happening. I wonder if that's happening. It's really setting up what's going to go on in high school as we look at those mechanisms in detail and really understand Earth's energy balance and, and all of those things. All that's going to happen in the high school. We really just want to make sure that our students are familiar that something's happening. We need to convince them that there is a global rise in temperatures. And we're going to look at data. That's the other aspect of this is that they're asking questions when they're looking at evidence. And in this case, if you look at the clarification statement, there's a lot of emphasis on, on actual data. They're looking at graphs of global temperature. They're looking at graphs of, of, uh, of atmospheric levels of gases like methane and CO2. And they're looking at, it says in the clarification statement, the rates of human activities, but you'd be looking at graphs of different emissions and different things that are going on in, in the world. And so we're really getting them to look at graphs and try and use those to, to tell stories or understand the story that those graphs are telling. That's, that's uh, I really like this performance expectation because, uh, you know, this is a performance expectation in California for grade six. And we actually, at Green Ninja, we feature it in our first unit. And so it's really early on, but, you know, I, what we tell the teachers is exactly what you said. It's not that they have to understand, like, how this actually works, but that they have to ask good scientific questions. And I think that's a nice, uh, like you said, a nice intermediate way to start thinking about these issues. You know, in the 2016 California Science Framework, is there any special focus on climate change? Well, I talked a little bit about the high school uh, version of that, but really because NGSS uh, spirals upwards, uh, we are, we're doing things like here in sixth grade, we're, we're setting the table for this. We're, we're trying to make sure that our students are, are going to be ready for that high school by seeing this as an interesting challenge and problem and, and relating things. Uh, the other really big aspect of things is just if you look at the earth and space science standards, which we feel like we've done a good job in the framework of really integrating and highlighting in a way that they've been kind of swept under the, swept under the table uh, in, in the past. And even, even though actually, to be honest, the standards and the framework from California in the older, older uh, editions did not do any of that. It just was the practice of California. And we, as, as we're rolling out the framework, are making sure that the practice that develops uh, mirrors what the, the importance that's given of earth and space science in the framework. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's sort of a match that we're doing. But if you look at earth and space science, it has three different subparts. Uh, there's one about uh, earth history. Uh, there's one about earth systems today. And then there's one about earth and human impacts and human, human interactions. And, and so basically one full third of what we call earth and space science is actually people, earth and space science. And that is something that, that we have taken very strongly. And uh, that's part of the official NGSS that applies to all states. But then we, we double down on that uh, with the, the environmental principles and concepts, which are unique to California. Those are part of our state law that, that basically the legislature passed in 2004 saying we need to make sure that we're teaching about the environment and helping our students understand those human impacts and, and how the people and the, and the natural world are intricately interlinked. And so we have vignettes that specifically focus on um, those environmental principles and concepts. Uh, and some of those are related to climate change, uh, particularly in the high school level. So we've really tried to, to make sure that this is, it's, it's in all of these, all these places. It's in our, our Earth and Space Science NGSS, it's in our uh, Environmental Principles and Concepts, and it's something that we're trying to integrate into the practice of the teaching and not just say this is something that it's in the framework as an option. This is something that is fundamental. Climate change is fundamental to uh, understanding what it means to be a California-trained scientist. 
that's a great point. And I'm wondering, you know, obviously we, at Free Ninja, we tried to, to, to use that same philosophy. But in some of the other uh, publishers and other curriculum, how do you see them treating, how, what's their treatment like of the subject of climate change? In many cases, it is a, a, a piece of their curriculum. And that's one of the things that you'll see with, with um, a, lot of, a lot of the curricula that are out there is that they're, they're very modular. It's very nice. It's very convenient for a teacher to pick and choose things. Um, but as a result of doing that, they're, they're not getting that full idea of how these things are interconnected and the storylines and information building off of uh, previous, uh, previous learning. And so they've got, in some cases, some very nice climate change uh, units uh, but they are standalone units that are not taking advantage of the fact that uh, we're seeing connections to those units everywhere throughout all of the, there's, understanding climate change means understanding all these other aspects of science. And they're basically simply just trying to understand climate change as its own unique entity. And that's, that's the big difference. Mm, good points. You know, in our curriculum, when we first introduced climate change, uh, that's part of the earth and space science standards that we just talked about. Our students end up exploring a lot about looking at different data, identifying patterns and asking questions, just like we just talked about. Um, And one piece of feedback we received from teachers is that it doesn't feel as hands-on as they would like. They were interested in in this new curriculum that has uh, lots of hands-on experiences where their students are like touching things or, or interacting. And they didn't feel like the interacting with data and graphs was as hands-on as they liked. Do you have any, any suggestions here? And, and what does hands-on science mean to you? Yeah, well, I have kind of two, two conflicting responses to that uh, in my head about what's going on. The first thing is, I think we've talked about this before, is that climate change, because it's so rich and complex, I really feel like California missed the boat on putting that in the sixth grade. And I feel like it really would be better treated as an eighth grade level problem when students have more of the, the, the capacity to, to ask those things and to engage in, in these richer, more complicated and more abstract discussions. So that's, that's one side. Side of me. The other side of me, though, is, is talking about how what we really need to do is we, we do want our students to see data as, as telling stories, as you know, graphs tell stories, and starting with that and learning about how you can look at, at that data and really try and make it have meaning is, is something we want to begin very early on. And so I love the fact that we're doing that very early on in, in the Green Ninja curriculum. And it's an important part of science. Uh, so many of our scientists today uh, are, are spending their time, most of the time in front of computers, uh, you know, I, as a practicing geoscientist, I might have spent at the height of my heyday, you know, three weeks or something like that in the field. And the other 48 or I was gonna say, 49, <laughs> excuse me, the other 49 weeks were basically spent, uh, you know, in front of a computer, analyzing the data, doing modeling, all of those things. And so what constitutes real science, professional level science is not all hands-on. And we do want to be painting a, a broader picture of that. But we want to make sure that we're, we're engaging the students. So we need, to, we need to figure out how to do that. And, and like I said, tell, t- treating graphs like stories and, and, and helping our students really you know, make them come alive. Uh, you can even do kinesthetic activities where kids are using their bodies to represent uh, you know, the, the, what, what patterns they're seeing in graphs. If there are seasonal patterns, they can move their hands up and down. You know, we can do things to really make this more engaging such that they are getting that sense that this, this, this graph is not just a plain, boring picture on the page. This is, uh, this is representing a whole bunch of stuff that's happening. And so that's what we have to do to make this feel more authentic and more, or more meaningful to the, to the kids. 
Well, maybe uh, later on, Matt, we can then talk uh, at some point about how to add something, like you said, more kinesthetic or to use some other kind of modeling to represent some of this data. Um, that would be fun. So I look forward to that. Let's shift to um, climate and the environment. And, you know, today is the global strike that young people are, you know, encouraging right now. And I'm interested in, in about this strike and how it's been initiated and led by youth. For example, in Mountain View, where I live, two high school students are the ones planning the local strike events. And even middle school students are participating and walking out of school. And uh, what do you think about this, Matt? Oh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, you've, seen, you've seen leaders around the world, young people around the world who are, who are stepping up and, and what they're saying is, this is our future. And uh, you folks, uh, you old people like us are, are, not, uh, are not really stepping up to, to protect their future. And I think that's, that's so empowering for them to be doing. And uh, we're trying to help, help make it happen for them and help uh, support them as, as, as those old folks that we are. <laughs> Um, but it's it's really exciting to see, and you know, like I said, my daughter is is heading out to the climate strike. Uh, my son chose to to go to school today because I think he's been uh, they they've done more than their fair share of uh, of rallies, climates, and uh, rallies and protests uh, over the last couple of months uh, with the, the campaigning. Uh, so yeah. You know, one of our interns at Green Into the Summer is an excellent student, but also self-proclaimed climate activist. And she organized a previous Friday strike at her high school campus. Um, and she talked to the principal beforehand to make sure it was okay, because she didn't really want to jeopardize any of her grades. So if you were a teacher and you heard that students are thinking about missing your class, uh, what would you do? Well, I could tell you that you know our district is, has has uh, have many others around the the, the 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 country have really basically said we're we're excusing this as an absence, and and um, I think that even just not for not only for the climate strike, but our our district has a little form that you can fill out to petition to get your absence to be excused for us. This is L.A., so uh, you can for uh, media uh, filming if you are a, a child actor or actress, you can you can get that, but also for nonprofit uh, organization conferences that are of political or uh, you know, of nature, those actually can get excused as official excused absences because they have real learning value. And so our district has a, has a policy for that. But even just thinking about this in, in, uh, you know, in terms of learning value, uh, my, my third grader, her, her vocabulary words this, this week are campaign and uh, candidate and a couple other ones because they're I guess they're gearing up getting ready it's you know, it's coming close to November and so the curriculum that they have builds builds that in but we were having this rich discussion about how their definition of what were effective methods of campaigning was not very was not very complete because my daughter the third grader knows all about that because she's been involved in it and so if you're really looking for uh, rich experiences for your kids that show the integration of things um, this is valuable and even in science class remember we look at our practices of science and what are the effective practices of science well communicating science is one of our eight science and engineering practices and it's one of arguably one of the most important because that's we you know we can't do can't do do anything with our science unless we can actually share it with others and so um seeing how that's working and seeing that connection and within our environmental principles and concepts uh, principle number five is that uh, that basically decisions are are rich and complex and involve not just scientific considerations but social political and economic considerations and and to really understand that you need to actually bring the science to to the real world and to the ground. And so the learning value of, of a climate strike participation, I think, is is extremely high. 
Yeah, and, and just this week, um, we have a whole bunch of schools that are piloting Green Ninja right now. And so we decided to send them a letter mentioning the strike and, and suggesting that maybe some of your um, students have heard of it. Um, and even if they hadn't, you could introduce it to them and, and maybe participate in a small way and offered some, some very suggestions about how they might participate by doing a little walk around campus or by watching a, a video or thinking about how the strike is maybe in some way um, related to the science that they're learning and try to make those connections. And we got some feedback from some of the teachers who said that, you know, they're going to do something. So just like you said, you know, kind of bringing a real world issue into the classroom, is always a great opportunity. So, I love uh, that. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think about uh, Greta? And do you think it's appropriate to show any of her speeches or, or in a science class? Well, again, um, seeing, that, uh, seeing that communication aspect of things, she doesn't often talk much about the science, which is interesting, and the scientific aspects of things. That's not the power of her message and her storytelling, but uh, certainly seeing a, a, a child that has looked at the science and who does know it and seeing what she's doing once she does know that, I think is extremely valuable. And, and she is, she's an inspiration to me. I hope she'd be an inspiration to our kids as well. So that seems totally appropriate. You know, one of the, our interns, the one who is a climate activist, I said, what do you think of Greta? And she goes, oh, she's my hero. Like, mm-hmm. Straight away, there was, there was no doubt. I, I think her rhetoric is really interesting. She uses a lot of simple language but she often invokes a scientist. She said, you shouldn't be listening to me. You should be listening to the scientist. Mm, yeah. um, and, and the science report is pretty clear. And now it's time for you to do something about it. And also, I shouldn't have to be here to tell you this. I really think her, her rhetoric is really interesting and uses simple language, but is pretty uh, effective. So um, I do think that she um, would be inspirational to other young folks even if their passion isn't climate, but to see what young people who are determined to want to make some kind of change, the type of impact they can have. And that's really exciting. And it could be really inspirational for young kids. So let's uh, just switch to our last segment. This is about um, burritos, interestingly. So early on, Matt and I discovered that one of um, many things that we both enjoy is burritos. Uh, and it may be surprising, but the subject of burritos isn't always so far from science, education, and the environment. So given that today is the global climate strike, um, Matt, what should we be eating to show our solidarity with you strikers from around the world? Well, we've, we've talked about the, the climate impact of different diets, but one of the things that actually this question makes me think about is, I don't know if you saw in the, uh, the, one of the recent presidential debates that uh, somebody asked, the interviewer asked Cory Booker about his vegan diet and asking if people should adopt that. And, and he was very clear as the, his political, it was not politically tenable for him to say anything other than no. And he made a big deal about saying, no, he should, didn't think other people should be adopting that diet. And I, I thought that was that, a missed opportunity for the world um, to, to address that head on and, and say, no, you don't have to, but uh, here's why I'm doing it. And he, he, he really dodged that and because he was worried about being labeled as somebody that was going to take away your, your burgers and things like that. And, and, um, and we've seen some rhetoric about that on the news. We definitely have. And so I understand what, you know, politically that was what he needed to do, but it was a lost opportunity for the world. And so as we climate strike here, thinking about, uh, uh, especially on a day like today, the impact of our food 
food choices, I think is an excellent thing for us to do. And now that we're saying this, I feel I, feel, I regret the fact that I didn't uh, help organize uh, within the LAUSD district today could have been one of their uh, their meatless days, which they actually do have here in LA. I think it's every Monday, actually. But we could have had an extra meatless day specifically and made a big deal about this being a climate friendly uh, meal day. And uh, now, but next year, I'm sure we'll be doing this again. And uh, hopefully, I'll probably not even in a year, I expect. <laughs> and, and, you know, kind of tied to that, I was uh, recently in a district and you know, one of our Green Ninja films mentioned about eating organic. And we got the feedback from a teacher who said, you know, a lot of our students suffer from food scarcity. It's not about organic. They're just looking for food. But then one of my colleagues responded and said, yeah, we're very sympathetic with that. Um, but we're also sympathetic with farm workers and their exposure to pesticides. And some folks in the, for example, in the Latino community support organic when possible to show solidarity with um, folks who are working in, in agriculture and their exposure. And so uh, I think that this food is such a complex and interesting issue. Um, and one of our roles as educators is to share some of that so that we can kind of understand the science around food and, and then the social implications of our food choices. Yeah, no, I think and see, it's, it's, that's principle five in the, in the EPNCs exactly, is that you can't just say, well, we don't want, we don't want uh, pesticides. It's, uh, there's a lot going on there and, uh, and it has to do with the economics of things. It has to do with the health of, of different, different people and different exposures. So uh, it's so rich and challenging a problem and, and, and I don't have a solution to it as, as neither do you, I'm sure, is that we'd love for us to just sort of outlaw the pesticides, but the pesticides do make food cheaper and there are a lot of people that can't afford to eat. And so... Uh, where are we? There's, there's some big fundamental societal problems that go well beyond science here. Yeah, and I think that's, um, that's rich for discussion. So I think that's a good place for us to stop today. Thanks for joining us at ASMAP, where we explore NGSS, science education and the environment with education expert and super nice guy, Matthew Delasio. Thanks for joining us today, Matt, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye-bye. <laughs>